The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org give. A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 12 to 26. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your wine and your oil. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict on you. But he will lay them on all who hate you. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you, little by little, you may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take it for yourselves, lest you be ensnared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. And you shall not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Be Please be seated. 
Thank you, Tabitha, for reading that text. We are in Deuteronomy in a series. The people of God are on the plains of Moab hearing Moses preach to them and allowing them to hear instructions of how they will enter into the land. Uh, This is more of that instruction as we've heard in chapter 7. And let's pray together that God will teach us. Father, we thank you for your word. It is true. It is powerful. All of it. We come underneath it. Help us to understand what we don't. Help us most of all to be convicted of our sin. Help us to be convicted of our need for Jesus and to be glad for his provision. May this sermon, the preaching of your word, stir us to faith, real faith and real action with real works. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If most of us are honest, we're all afraid. There's a lot of fear. Uh, There's a lot of fear increasingly, increasingly in these days of the information age, social media, internet, podcast, and in an information age like that, when your awareness goes up of problems and you're then aware how little agency you have, what happens is your anxiety skyrockets. I have all this awareness, I have very little agency, and now I'm just afraid. You know that's where we live. A fear of failure, fear of monumental challenges, fear of evil, fear of spin, fear of being duped. And I think we need to hear that quote where one once said, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, no one was there. We need to have faith answer the door when fear knocks. In this current moment, Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many, many years, spoke to his daughter of that sort of faith when fear knocks on the door and the need for it. Barnhouse had lost his wife when his daughter was still a child. He was trying to help his little girl and himself process the loss of his wife, her mother. And once when they were driving, a a huge moving van passed them. And as it passed, the shadow of the truck swept over the car. And the minister had a thought. He said this, would you rather be hit by a truck or by its shadow. And his daughter replied, by the shadow, of course, that can't hurt us at all. And then Barnhouse said, right. If the truck doesn't hit you, but only its shadow, you're fine. Well, it was only the shadow of death that went over your mother. She's actually alive, more alive than we are. And that's because 2,000 years ago, the real truck hit Jesus. And because death crushed Jesus, and we believe in him, now the only thing that can come over us is the shadow of death. And the shadow of death is an entrance into glory. Rooting our lives in God's covenant love enables us to be people who live by faith, seeing shadows. Fear sees trucks. Faith sees shadows because of the work of Jesus. And in this passage, God will address our fears. And and in this passage, he will address our fears by pointing to our assurance, an antidote, and an admonition. First, the assurance. 
of blessing for obedience that should quiet our fears. I want to let you know right away as you hear this text, as you hear these words in verse 12, and because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. And all of a sudden, you may think that sounds very conditional. I thought last week we preached on the unconditional love of God, and that sounds like a conditional statement. Because last week we heard in verse 7, it was not because you were in number more than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest. And we heard of the steadfast, faithful love of God in verse 9 and then in verse 12. And if you listen to these rules and keep these commandments, basically I'll bless you. And you go, is this relationship unconditional or conditional? Do you feel that? And the answer is yes often is. I hope to explain that. One of the first things I want you to understand is obedience is not to be out of fear. It's out of favor. That's always the starting point. The starting point of obedience is not fear that you may lose the relationship. The starting point is you have the favor of God and it has nothing to do with you. Verse seven, as we heard last week. So, what does this do? If this has not caused me to fear and obey, but I, I obey because I'm favored, how am I to understand this? Well, Israel was to be faithful because they had a relationship that was covenantal. Their obedience maintains the relationship. It doesn't gain the relationship. The obedience helps foster the nature and the experience of the relationship that has covenantal realities, which is obedience yields blessing and disobedience yields curse and suffering. That's the nature of covenant. So the, the thought is like a tree that bears fruit. You do not look and say, the fruit makes that tree alive. No, because the tree is alive, it bears fruit. And Jesus spoke about this very same thing like verse 12 in John 14, 15, when he said, if you love me, you'll what? Keep my commands. The gospel and Christianity is not against obedience. It's against earning. Thinking you could earn your favor through your obedience. No, you've been given favor, and now you do not obey out of fear. You obey in response to the loving favor of God that now has you in a relationship that's vibrant and dynamic, where you can do things in the Bible like grieve the Holy Spirit, where you can experience a sense that there's distance between you and God. And so that's the call of this text in verses 12 through 16 when he says, and because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep you with the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. And it begins to talk about how God and covenant relates with blessing and curse. And when he curses those who are his, it's always a call to get their attention and bring back the nature, the experience of intimacy. Thus the exile, it wasn't just merely to punish them, it was to purify them and bring them back to him, to return their hearts to him. So we gotta understand obedience. A lot of us may tend to obey God or think we have to obey God out of utter fear of what he might do to you, but we have to approach it out of a favored position. 
great way to understand this is understanding your identity before God as a child and not an employee. As a child and not a slave. Covenant obedience is the obedience of a child. Prior action apart from the child established the relationship, biological or legal. And a child cannot obey his or her parents unless that relationship was established apart from them. There would be no obedience to parents. You cannot obey your parent unless your parent has had you or adopted you, of which you had nothing to do with. Your obedience is not the reason your parents have you. Your obedience then in that relationship is at the nature of the relationship, a relationship of love, not out of fear that you could lose the relationship. No, it, you have it, it's there. But think about an employee. An employee or a slave or a servant lives with this in their heads. I better do well, otherwise I'm gonna be fired. The employee's constantly trying to keep the relationship knowing it can be lost if he doesn't perform. Do you see the difference? These are the children of Israel. They belong to God. And because he started the relationship, they now are being instructed how to maintain the relationship. And it is in obedience. Now, faithful obedience, as you read here in these verses, Verse 14, you shall be blessed above all peoples. Verse 13, he'll bless the fruit of your room, the fruit of your ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. Verse 15, the Lord will take away from you all sickness, none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew. You begin to hear that and you may think, well, is this, this sounds like health and wealth. This sounds like a bit of a prosperity gospel that if you do right, you're going to get everything. Again, just like we heard earlier, is this a conditional relationship I can lose? Now, is, is this a health wealth promise of if I obey, I get everything? Well, no. How do we know that? Go read Job. Job was a righteous man, suffered terribly, and had nothing to do with him. And so you realize at this point, this nature of this relationship is not instant or automatic, but really at the heart of verses 12 through 16 is this one word, fertility. Fertility of the land, fertility of the people. Another word could be life. If you follow and obey God, you will taste the life that's truly life even in the midst of suffering, sickness, damage, and trial, which still faces us. Jesus himself, perfectly righteous, suffered. Job, a man of suffering. So this is not a, if you obey, you get the moon. No, this is, you know where there's life? You know where there's really life? In a vibrant relationship with God that's marked by a response of loving obedience. Rules are not there to quench our life. God's put his commands there because he wants us to live. He said, if you'll follow these commands, you'll live. There'll be a fertility to your life, not a one-to-one -one correlation of health and wealth. 
So those are some assurances about obedience. I think they're really helpful. Secondly, there's an antidote to fear in the face of foes. That we do not move forward out of fear, but out of fortitude. How in the world can you do this? In verse 17, if you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. He knew they would say in their heart, we don't have a chance. The nations are going to crush us. This looks like a foe that cannot be squashed. They would have been full of fear. And he says, when you see that, in that moment of overwhelming inability and incompetency, what does God say to his people? Don't fear. Fear may mark the culture, but it must not mark the church. God's people, in the face of foes greater than them, are told, do not fear. And you may, like me, be asking at this point, how? Please tell me how to do that, because it seems quite impossible. And he does. There's several things to remember if you're not going to fear. First, remember God's powerful work in the past. Verse 18 through 19, you shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so will the Lord your God do to all the people of whom you are afraid. The exodus, facing the conquest, facing their fears. How could they not fear? Remember the exodus. Remember when you looked back and the Red Sea was standing there and the army was coming behind you and it seemed hopeless and he parted the waters. Remember that. Remember the plagues. Remember the blood over the door. Remember the mighty powerful works of God in Egypt and then go in. That's how we don't fear. We remember the past powerful redemptive works of God. And for us, namely, we remember the work of God through his son on the cross. Who spoiled all of Satan's schemes and triumphed over the grave and gave us life. The cross he who did not give up his own, who you gave up his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give you all things? We are to work from the cross to our circumstances. Remember the past so that fear can subside in the face of foes. Here is the truth about fear. Fear is the fruit of forgetfulness. Redemptive forgetfulness. And the antidote to fear is a really good redemptive memory. So I want to tell you, redemptive amnesia leads to ruinous anxiety and fear. Don't forget the mighty works of God. And even as he reveals it in verse 20, where that strange thing all of a sudden, moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them. That just sounds terrible. A bunch of hornets coming at a big army will make them feel really small fast. But here's the deal. They don't see the hornets, right? They look out and see the mighty army, the foes. And here's what God's telling them. 
when he tells them about the hornets. What you see is not all there is. I have power. I have all the power at my disposal. I can send an army of hornets to take them out. You can't see that, but I need you to trust my power. Remember his past redemption and his power. And then also remember God's faithful presence in the present. Verse 21, you shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst. A great and awesome God. You're not just remembering the past works, you're remembering his current presence. That that God is present with us in threatening situations. He's not remotely removed. He's not restrictively localized, like logistically distant. He is with us. And if you approximate all that through the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit comes, that the Holy Spirit, God, in his person, has taken up residence inside of us. He's with us. Remembering that, cast away fear. Past redemptive memory, remembering he's with me. If you're a parent, you have inevitably had this experience when your children were younger where their imaginations or their dreams got the best of them and then you heard the little patter of feet running to you, perhaps climbing uh, into your bed in the dark or perhaps when they climbed into their bed, they began to imagine snarly toothed monsters hiding here and there or as one of my kids recently told me, a swath of cockroaches climbing up the wall. And their imagination gets the best of them and they just decide, I'm making a mad dash for who I know will give me safety and they crash into your room. And then you become an inspector and you go and open the doors and look under the bed and say, there's nothing here. I love you. Uh, You're safe. Good night. And now once you leave, what makes them afraid is not the snarly monster or the cockroach, it's that you're gone. They begin to think not only what they thought they couldn't see, but now they deal with what they're missing, and it's you. So they come back running again. God is with us. He never leaves us. No matter what threat, no matter what imagination, no matter what's happening, he's with us. He really is, and that makes all the difference. As Chaplain George Metcalf was known to say, according to General George Patton, I love this, courage is fear that has said its prayers. That's good. That'll work. Courage is fear that has said its prayers because when you pray, you sense the presence of God and you believe that God's real and he exists and fear goes away. The third thing to remember in face of fear is God's normal plan I love this little line, verse 22. The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. That's so disappointing. And you know that's true for all of us in our lives, his little by little work. Don't you wish he just decisively takes some things out of your heart that are sinful? Like, just do it, Lord. He can. But just like here, God chooses to work in us little by little. Why? To kill our pride and make us pray. 
to kill our arrogance and make us dependent. Little by little, he'll drive out his enemies. And that is an arduous process that sometimes can lead you in the middle of it to be afraid. Are you really at work? Or as I and my ministry years have walked into situations that seemed impossible, and suddenly I felt like, God, where are you? Hardly able to see the little being done, but having to believe by faith, God, you're a God who works often gradually and slowly, not dramatically and decisively. The Red Sea is not your normal operation and sanctification of people's lives. It's little by little. No fear. Remember how he works and remember God's future promise. So it's past redemptive works, current presence, God's normal way of working little by little. And then verse 22 through 24, his future guaranteed promise. Verse 22, he says, I will clear away these nations. Yes, little by little. Verse 23, the Lord your God will give them over to you. Verse 24, he will give their kings into your hands. Fear, overwhelming us. Remember past redemption, current presence, normal operation, little by little, and absolute future guarantee of promises fulfilled. He will do it. That will drive out fear. You see, the gospel is for them and for us, they have been saved, Egypt. They are being saved, Moab, and they will be saved, Canaan. Same for us. God has rescued us. God currently today is rescuing us and absolutely confidently and for sure he will rescue us because he has risen from the dead. Believe that. See, the culture doesn't have that. The church does. Why are both marked by fear? God says to his people, no fear. And last, the admonition to thoroughly eliminate idols. There's a renewed warning here. And I think here there is a call for healthy fear. You must have a healthy fear for the gods that surround you. The call is lest you be ensnared. Verse 25, lest you commit an abomination to the Lord. They would go into the land, they would be surrounded, absolutely. You and I, you live in this life, aren't we surrounded by everything sinful, idolatrous? And we should have a healthy fear. A healthy fear that doesn't begin to call those things okay and normal, but understands the severity of the language of the text that they're detestable. They're an abomination. They're going to kill you. The sinful allure of this world. A healthy fear that would say, I've got to keep myself from the snares, not play with the snares. That call is for us as well. And you may wonder, well, he told them in that day to destroy all the idols of the world that surrounded them. So is that what you're telling us to do? No. On the basis of Paul in Athens. Paul in Athens in Acts 17 went and said, I see a city full of idols. Did he physically destroy them? No, he did not because this is the time of the Holy Spirit. What did he do to deal with the idols? He dismantled them, showing them to be futile and empty. 
with spiritual and intellectual argumentation to which I say thanks be to God for Tim Keller because I saw him doing that his whole ministry culturally taking the gods of this world and showing them to be absolutely futile and empty but not with a destructive manner with a call for something better that's the call I close with this J.R. Tolkien in the last passage in the last volume of his trilogy writes of Sam Gamgee guarding his master Frodo during a harrowing journey through a deadly evil country At one point, he rescued Frodo from a prison tower out of sheer force of will, and later, he's falling asleep. He sees a white star twinkling in the sky, and he says this, the beauty of it smote his heart. As he looked up out of the forsaken land, and hope returned to him. For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope, thinking as he was thinking of himself. But now for a moment, his own fate, even his master, ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side and put away all fear. He cast himself into a deep, untroubled sleep. See, in the tower... Sam had placed his hopes in himself. But lying there and seeing that distant star and realizing that really and truly, in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing and there was light and high beauty forever beyond the reach when he realized hope beyond himself. That's when fear went away. And that's what's the difference between seeing shadows and trucks. Let's go, when when fear knocks, Let's go answer the door with faith and let's see shadows and have the hope of resurrection. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful that you not only command us not to fear, but you tell us how to not fear. You've given us this vibrant relationship. Help us to obey by your power. And help us to dismantle the idols of the world, enticing and inviting others into the place where there is true life. We ask this in your name. Amen.